Live from the NASDAQ market side, overlooking New York City's beautiful Times Square. This is Fast Money. I am Brian. In for Melissa tonight, your trader lineup is Tim Seymour and Guy Dami on set. Bono and Ison and Pete Nigerian, who is co-founder of MarketRebellion.com with the other Nigerian. Ahead on Fast, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway buying a big stake in HP. Yes, Hewlett Packard, that HP, the bullish bet, sending shares surging, is the king of value. Getting in on a stock, you should too. Plus, Walmart starting a school to train truckers, and they're going to pay these new hires six-figure salaries. We'll talk about the ripple impacts on the competition and maybe some trucking stocks. And later on, despite a flood of sports bets, right now the sports gambling stocks, they have been slumping big time. We're going to go inside the numbers. Contessa Brewer. We have got a lot to do, as you can tell, but let's start with a major market reversal. Stocks staging a strong midday rally with major indexes rebounding from some steep earlier losses. The Dow down as much as seven tenths of a percent at one point today, but it ended the day in the green. Racing a 1.4% loss, the NASDAQ, the S&P, did the same. And take a look at the jumps in some big technology stocks. Tesla, at one point, down more than 2% finished up over a percent. Apple and Microsoft as well, ending with gains. A lot of talk, Guy Dami, mm-hmm. by the way. Great to be back on set. Great to have Both you of you is here. It's fantastic. All right. Big um, fella. There we go. What exactly caused, and do not say more buyers and sellers, please, the turnaround midday. See, I would love to be able to answer that. I don't know the answer. To that. I'm not going to pretend that I do. There are a number of different things people talked about. Uh, stimulus package. I'm, I'm not really sure. I'll say this, and Pete's talked about it. It's probably one of the best trading environments we've seen in quite some time. So the next question is, is the selling over? I don't think it is. Pete said something a couple of Mondays ago that resonates with me. He saw buyers of the $70 June volatility index calls. And I'm telling you, that sort of goes through my brain thinking that volatility is here to stay. So these moves to the upside, I think you sell them. I'm more inclined to sell rallies here that I am to buy sell-offs. Well, I, I, today was, first of all, it, it was the revenge of retail. In other words, retail, which has been getting destroyed. We spent a lot of time on the show talking as the consumer dead this week. And, and, you know, Home Depot, which is, I think, one of the more important companies for the market right now because it is emblematic of both housing, the, the, the consumer's interest in, in, in spending not only on their home, but uh, their ability to actually have spending power. Also, obviously, in the center of the storm around building materials, supply constraints and whatnot. Um, that's impressive. This was also the day that people really looked up and said, hey, I don't know if this is a change in character, but twos, tens. And I know the yield curve, the shape of the yield curve. Remember that inversion that we were talking about five, you know, five or five or six days ago is now up 20 bips. Not a reason to get excited. And in fact, the equity market, though, was not focused on the fact that the 10 year broke to new highs. 266, we close on the 10 year. So um, to me, the fact that the technical element of today was also that a number of these key indices held their 50 day uh, to the downside. We talked about how earlier they couldn't break through on the upside above yep. uh, the 200 day and some of the longer term moving averages. OK, not. But at least they've held the short term uh, recovery. And let's see where we go from here. Yeah, Pete, go back to that volatility. I mean, what's amazing is that the VIX has been coming down. Volatility actually going up to Tim's point. Yeah, it's probably a little bit gut-wrenching for some people out there, but if you're a day trader, if you're yeah. a swing trader, chartist, options trader, you've got to be loving this market. Up 2% on Monday, down 2% on Tuesday. Yeah, and the volatility, as you guys mentioned, I mean, we were back finally underneath 20. We were above 30 not too many weeks ago, and then here we are now today, just barely above 20s again, trading 
I think we closed right around 21 and a half or something very close to that. So I think what we're also seeing here, guys, and I agree with everything that, that I heard from Guy and from Tim. Tim, you were talking about that 50-day. I'll tell you what, what this market has turned really truly into is algorithms. And we are seeing more and more of that. And I think when we started to see that turn, whatever that, that, uh, that mechanism is to start that turn, it really kicked in. And that's why I think you're seeing these violent kind of moves in very, very short periods of time, Brian. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting to watch, actually. Yes, it's yeah. been a great environment for trading. I've never had this many positions on before uh, that I can remember over the last five or six or seven years as wow. I've had for the last week or two, where I've got 60 or 70 positions on at any one time. And I'm only talking about option positions. I, on top of that, I got another 30 or 40 on the stock side. So it is a, a great environment to trade, but it's also interesting to see what's really turning and burning and what's really moving the markets these days. And we're seeing a lot of that safety trade coming into play as well. So but the combination of that healthcare that really has been buoying the markets when they've been down and then all of a sudden we start to see that turn algorithms click in technology starts to work and then everything starts to move back up to the upside i guess what i'm confused by bon well i'm confused by a lot of things easy to do but why the vix was at 35 on march 8th now it's at 21 down another three percent today i'm not saying it's at 12 i get that it's still higher than maybe the average over the last couple of years but what's changed in a month that suddenly the nervousness appears to be off and the Nasdaq rallies, you know, 16% a matter of days. Uh, from a fundamental standpoint and from a geopolitical standpoint, nothing much has changed. So same page there. And I'll try to keep this short and sweet so I don't bore you with like all the technical jargon. But there's a couple of things that work here. One, it's muscle memory. Like buying dips has been what's worked for, I don't know, as long as you can, I can remember. I hardly remember what I ate for dinner yesterday. So that's really been the recent trend. All right. On top of that, guys like Pete that are in the market that I'm telling you time and time again, listen, I'm playing this not through stock outright long, I'm playing this through options. So options as long or options as stock replacement strategies, I'll point you right back to the VIX. Low hmm. mid 20s, that's implying about a one and a half, 1.4% move. So you have dealers that are selling those options. They're hedging down, where did we land today? One, 1. 1.4, 1.5%, and that's where we've bounced. So the VIX will let you know where it makes sense for options traders that are taking the other side of outright plays, where they're going to be buying and selling and how they're hedging. That's why we break out the pool end because we just went in the weeds. We got to get out. But I love it. I love the. (laughs) Is that a make of like a weed whacker or something? Nothing gets by you about who land we need. I'm a jo- I mean, well, I'm an echo on my kind of my. Anyway, so you, you understand course. what he's saying, guy, Dami. I get it. If you're an options trader and, or day trader, swing trader, you got to love this market. But should we be concerned about the health of the equity market when we're moving two percent one day, two percent the next? I believe so. I mean, and you just said it. And I'll say this: if you think about Alibaba, for example, three hundred billion dollar company that moved thirty five percent in one day a couple weeks ago. Tesla. A trillion-dollar company moved over 54% in the course of, I don't know, three weeks or so. Does that, does that signify a healthy market to you? No, it doesn't to me. I actually think volatility should be higher. I'll say this, though, and Pete just sort of touched on it, as did Bono and you. Healthcare has been the place to be in this mm. environment, without question. Look at some of these big-cap pharma names. Regardless of tape, 
seem to go up every day. Yeah, and, and if you talk about the, the valuations there, I still think if you look at Big Cap Pharma, they, they traded a premium here. They can trade at a premium here. We talked about this yesterday, and I think we're going to continue to talk about it. But the outperformance of a handful and the move by, you know, Pfizer traded almost like it's a semiconductor stock today. Um, and I think it's interesting. I think you've got a, a, a dynamic here for equities, though. They were, you know, you guys are talking about the volatility and the oversized moves. Look, we were way oversold before we went into that overbought rally that also, I mean, it was the pendulum. And maybe this is the fear that you have here. Today's move is just a market getting its footing. I don't I don't see this as a changing character day, per se, even though the support of the 50 was very important. And S&P, and I think, Pete, 19 and a half times forward earnings. That's pretty much in line with its five year average. It has yeah. come down. Are you comfortable with macro valuations right here? Yeah, I think generally I am, yes. But I think there are still areas in the market, and that's why we're seeing, and you guys were just talking about some of the health care, so I'll jump onto that. When I look at Pfizer and I look at Merck, and you, you measure these things, Brian, and you're looking at not only just the P.E., but you're looking at buybacks, you're looking at dividend yield, you're looking at all the major issues within uh, the, 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 the components we're all looking at each and every day. I'll tell you what, you look at Pfizer, you look at Merck, it makes a whole lot of sense. You look at Coke and look at Pepsi, it makes a lot of sense. I think when you look at these names that have been the names that have actually been leading on the upside moves, at least, I think it does make a lot of sense. And even, even names like Gilead, look at how inexpensive some of these names have become. And then you look at the buybacks, but on top of the buybacks, the yield. But on top of that, how about the cash flow? The cash flow, the free cash flow for some of these companies is absolutely astronomical. So when you see a lot of that, you can understand why. I'm not saying it's the perfect place to be. I'm not saying you run there for, to duck and cover. But these are names that a lot of us have had in our portfolios for a really long time. I know for me, the names that I just spouted off, there's probably names that I've been in for about a decade yeah. already. And I'll continue to hold on to some of these because, quite honestly, there are times like this where you're looking yeah. for something. And if you're already there, you have a good position going forward. All right. We'll get more now on some value picks a little bit later on. But let's talk more macro because one big reason that stocks have been volatile is because the bond market has been, well, a disaster. Rates up 50 percent in a matter of weeks. Bonds selling off all over the world. In fact, your next guest warns this might be the worst bond market of our lifetime, and it will matter to stocks. Jim Bianco runs Bianco Research, went on sort of a Twitter thread slash rant, and I'm going to read one of them, Jim, and I mean that as a compliment. The story, and I'm going to read, so you forgive me for looking down. The story of this hiking cycle continues to be the utter disbelief the Fed will get very aggressive, even risk a recession. Yes, they will, says Jim Bianco, and their policy is creating carnage in the bond market and eventually losses. In your portfolio. Did you mean losses from a stock perspective as well? Yes, I did. Um, let's break that down quickly. The market is pricing in 50, 50, 50 the next three meetings. If they do that, you can forget about 25. It will be 50 all the way through until the Fed basically raises rates too much and breaks something, and then they'll be done. But they're not going to go back to 25. The bond market, by both most total return measures, that's incorporating price and yield, is having its worst year in the history of statistics. In some statistics, they go back to the mid-70s. The, the, the aggregate index, which is all bonds, is down 7% through early April. That would be the worst year ever, and we're only in early April. We've already had one of the worst quarters we've had in 40 years. Mm. And if the question is, can the bond market have yield shoot up? Can it have returns be this bad? Can the Fed get that aggressive? And we're going to all look for 4,800 to 5,000 on the S&P and totally ignore 
what the Fed's trying to do, uh, I think that that's a stretch. I think that eventually this is going to come back and it's going to hurt all financial assets. Let me, As Bill Dudley, the former Federal Reserve uh, president of the New York Fed, said in an op-ed yesterday, the policy goal of the Fed now is to lower the stock market and create a reverse wealth effect to try and rein in inflation. Do we really want to fight that? I want to ask you more, I guess, maybe controversial or specific question about the Federal Reserve, Jim. And I know I know your mm-hmm. views, but I want to ask it for the audience. I mean, is this a Fed that any of us should trust to navigate some kind of I don't even mean a soft landing. I mean, not a crash. I'll tell you why they whiffed. They missed. I mean, they were talking about transitory inflation a few months ago. Suddenly, every one of them must have gone to the grocery store or gone to, you know, seriously, or filled up their gas tank because they flipped so quickly. And you think smart guys like you and Scott Miner and others were saying, where were you a year ago? I, I don't understand why this is a Fed we should trust at all. And I'm not trying to be offensive to them personally, but come on. No, you're right that the call last year that inflation would be well contained and transitory is arguably one of the worst forecasts in Federal Reserve history, that they missed it that bad. They are now stuck with this ultra-aggressive policy because they didn't start raising rates at a very leisurely pace a year ago when they should have done it then. So they got to play big catch-up. They don't intend on creating a hard landing, but what they do intend on doing is reining in prices. I think what people need to understand is, What's the Fed's goal? Lower inflation. What about growth? What about payrolls? What about retail sales? So what? They want lower inflation and they're going to raise rates till they get lower inflation. How are they going to do that? They're going to slow demand down. And if the stock market wants to go up, that just means maybe they should be talking about 75 instead of 50. That's their mentality right now. And so, yeah, they don't want to create um, a broken market. They don't want to create a recession. But when you go down that path and you're that adamant about trying to rate in inflation, it makes it very likely that you will create a mistake. And they don't want to create the mistake in the other direction by being too timid right now. That's out the window now. Now they have to get aggressive. Jim Bianco with some tough words, strong words on the Fed and what may happen. Uh, I saw a lot of people, Tim, you were sort of nodding as Jim was talking. Uh, he's obviously very nervous. Well, he, you know, I think we're all nervous because we, we said even before the Fed started going from one extreme to the other that this was going to be impossible to, to safely land this ship. And, and if you think about the, the overly accommodative and the dynamics around COVID, but that a Fed that really, uh, you know, pick your spot where you think the Fed really lost their way. It wasn't just 2008, but I'll save that history lesson for another time. What, what Jim's ultimately talking about is, and he's referring to this Bill Dudley op-ed yesterday where Bill Dudley said, if stocks don't fail, the Fed needs to force them. And that's a a dynamic that says the Fed targets uh, financial conditions more around the stock market and the housing market. So that's where I'm going here. Uh, I I hear something about the stock market, and and I think we can do a decent job about at least assessing some of the dynamics of who owns what. But when you talk about the housing market, we're talking about the most important asset every person in this country owns if they own one. And and that's the place. And mortgage rates just went up 50 percent. Well, mortgage rates haven't been the size since 2011. So uh, and I think of all the knock on impact of the housing 
housing market. And, and yes, there has been speculation in the housing market again. Uh, yes, banks are in a better spot. And yes, you've changed uh, where the risks lie. And no, uh, the problem is Main Street can't yeah. even get a loan for something that they want to get a loan for. But somehow the housing market turned into Las Vegas. Yeah, I know, I know we're running out of time in this segment. But Bono in reference, as he said, for as long as he can remember. And by the way, I think you had spaghetti carbonara for dinner last night, Bono. Went. How would you I was that? a guess. <laughs> Forget about it. I was it. guessing. <laughs> Okay. For as long as he remembers, you bought the dip because the Fed was lowering rates and adding to its balance sheet. If they're going in the opposite direction, shouldn't the market go in the opposite direction? I agree. Listen, and David Tepper's come on the network for years when the Fed was being accommodative, lowering rates, adding liquidity, said, listen, if you're bearish under these circumstances, you are fighting the Fed. Well, a 180 now from our Federal Reserve. So by definition, if you are bullish overall here, you are fighting that same. Final and final quick comment. No, it's fine. I mean, you put the food in my mouth and Guy took the words right out of my mouth. I, I couldn't I really couldn't say it any nice better. It, it's it's literally it's literally the situation that we're that we're in. And if you add on the fact that they are going to be ratcheting down MBS, you're just adding fuel to yeah. the fire. Line it up. Shoot it down. That's what, what it is. Mortgage backed securities, not Mohammed bin Salman of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. All right. Coming up, HP surging as Berkshire Hathaway reveals a major stake in the computer company. What does the Oracle of Omaha see in HP? Plus, crew in focus as the Russia-Ukraine war wages on. And one top energy company sounding a major warning. We'll tell you who and by how much and who may benefit. By the way, stick around. All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Shares of HP, that's for HP. Look at that, topping the tape, soaring to record highs of 14.75% today. This after one, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway announced an 11% stake in the computer maker, HP, which made its public debut more than 60 years ago, seeing its best percent gain since March of 2020, and that move got us thinking. Mm. What the ultimate value play right now in tech Maybe. Guy Adami, is it HP? Do you agree with the Oracle of Omaha? I think he sees a company that has 10% earnings growth trading at nine times next year's numbers saying this is too cheap, despite the fact that the stock is making an all-time high. So, yes, I agree. You asked me my pick, though. I'm not saying this is the ultimate pick. Well, that's the game, though. I mean, why aren't you giving us the ultimate pick? I don't speak in <laughs> platitudes like that, because I, I don't know what the ultimate is, but I say my, at least my ultimate. Okay, right, okay, it's fine. It's fine. It's okay. Not really Guys, cool. Guys, ch- no, change the banner to say Guy Adami's semi-decent pick. Here we go. They can't do that. They can't change the lower third now. It's too late. Oracle, <laughs> you mentioned the Omaha guy. I'll give you the real company guy. Trading at 14 and a half times. Look at the last quarter they put up. Real Stock was guy. $75 when they reported. People misinterpreted, traded down to 72 we talked about it on CNBC's Fast Money, 5 o'clock each night, and we said it's too cheap here. Look at it now. Oracle, in my opinion, continues to go higher. They're doing everything right. So I'll speak in platitudes, and I'll go where Guy didn't go. Google is the cheapest company, not only in tech, but arguably in the world relative Thank to you. its size. Played the game and correctly. 0.9 peg, which means it's actually growing faster than what you pay to get it, uh, 22, 23 times, growing a little bit north of that, which means your peg ratio is below one. Google hits on all cylinders. Pete. What's your ultimate, and it's the ultimate value tech play? 
Yeah, and I'm going to give you one that's really out in left field, but everybody, I'm telling you, this is the right one, and it's Facebook. And why do I say that? Well, look at where the P.E. is after all of the carnage that's happened. Trades at about a 16, 17 P.E., maybe 18 P.E., but you look at the cash flow, the operating cash flow, 55 billion, 57 billion, whatever that number might be. Yes, they're spending a lot of money on CapEx, but... When you really uh, uh, unravel everything and you look at the free cash flow, it's still $30 billion. This is way too cheap. They still have growth. They still have their users. And people mm-hmm. sold this stock just blindly. This is a stock that I think has a lot of room to the upside. And they changed their name back to Facebook. The stock would go back up. Bonowin, your ultimate tech value play. Yeah, no. <laughs> Uh, I'll give you one that's cheaper than, than the previous three. Micron, seven times forward uh, wow. price to earnings. And it's got a spot 27 PEG ratio. And the knock on this company is that it's commoditized. I can get the chips here. I can get the chips there. I mean, well, commodities don't trade at just sub 50 gross margins. So for all that reason and on top of the negative sentiment and the fact that it's just overlooked seven times earnings in this market environment, I'll be buying it. And ginger chicken. There you go. We should, by the way, have like a Twitter poll. <laughs> Oracle. We, they, we have four picks. We should do a Twitter poll. Oracle, Google, Facebook slash Meta, and Micron. See which one the viewers agree on. All right, meantime, a total buzzkill on Twitter. That stock dropping 5%, giving back some of the massive gains it posted earlier in the week when Elon Musk revealed not only a big stake in the company, but he joined the board. So what happened today, Guy? Well, if you watch Fast Money, which I know you do, on Monday we said, listen, this stock was a $31 stock at its trough, traded up to 78 The 50% retracement of that move, that range, would get us to $55. Well, lo and behold, it traded 54 and a half, which is close enough for government work. We talked about it on Tuesday, and here we are. We said you're going to be able to buy this in the mid to upper 40s. Here it is. Now's your shot to get back in again, Brian Sullivan. Yeah, I think you got a case where nothing really changed in terms of a company that still needs to figure out how to monetize. We talked about uh, I've been frustrated over that investor day about a year and a half ago where they told you they were going to double revenues and they were going to get to 320 uh, daily monthly users, excuse me, in a case where, look, Elon being on the board and nudging and being, you know, you know someone that's impatient and whatnot is great. Um, he's not going to turn the ship overnight. This was a great so. move. I'm long Twitter, uh, and I'm still long Twitter. Well, so so I, I, mean, I believe part, in this, 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 this company long yeah. term, but it's frustrating. Remember, part of the deal was that he would not take a bigger than 15% stake. So Twitter's afraid of Musk. I mean, they, otherwise, why would you make that deal? They don't want him to take over the company. All right. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Crude reality. A big warning from a top oil company as the Russia-Ukraine war rages on. The $5 billion energy impact next. Plus, is SoFi a no-buy? Shares dropping as student loans get another pause. So how are options traders playing the news? You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. We have got a potential warning sign from one of the world's biggest oil companies. Shell announcing it'll write off at the $5 billion in assets after pulling out of Russia last month. Stock clawed back steep losses to end the day actually positive, but you do wonder, is this kind of a watershed moment, Tim, for many of these big oil stocks which have been on fire? No. No, I mean, look, no. Sh- sh- no, Royal Dutch Shell, Total, Exxon, uh, certainly at certain times ConocoPhillips, BP. have been t- fortunes tied to Russia. That's where they were getting production growth. They were going to Sakhalin. They were going to the Arctic Circle. They're going to. Di- no, I mean, you know, 
Good, and good for them for writing it down. And, and the reality check on this, and, and some of them, including Conoco, got out of Russia a long time ago. And Exxon, to their credit, never really yeah. overspent. BP was the one that overstepped their bounds. No, I, I, I've said this many times. I think the majors in, in, in the oil space are run better, run differently, yeah. not chasing growth at all costs. Yeah, and this is a one-quarter accounting thing, Pete, right? I mean, this is basically like you, you, you take your yeah. right off and go. Here's the thing. Congress did something interesting earlier in the week. They hauled the six oil CEOs, six big oil CEOs, and grilled them, and some praised them, whatever. Whatever you think of that, you know what Congress did say? You guys are making too much money. If you're an investor and Congress is telling somebody they're making too much money, that's a sign. Yeah, yeah, that is a sign. It's a it's a good sign for what they're doing, and they're they've been doing such a great job. Tim was just talking about how good that the, these companies are better run now than probably ever before, and I totally agree with that. And you look across the board, so many of them, and and I'd even go down a few steps down towards some of those beta names that we talk about all the time, whether it's the drillers or shippers or or any part of the energy complex. I think across the board, Brian, they're doing an unbelievable job, and so yes, they are making more money than ever, but they sure do work for it and they sure do have a great look at the future and how they approach it, when they need to kind of pull back a little bit and when they don't. And I know that Tim was just defining there are some of them that are very exposed or maybe overly exposed towards Russia, but most of them are not. And because of that, I think that this is just a a moment in time where we're going to see a little bit of a pause maybe. But I still think even Shell today, did you see that it it basically pushed up right up against the 52-week highs today, even with that news? That says a lot. Yeah, and also, Bonwin, I mean, here's the thing. The price of oil has come down, okay, 30 bucks off that intraday high, but it's come down, I don't know, 12% or whatever it is in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. But the look up, let's throw up Energy the XOP, the up. XLE. Oil stocks have gone up as oil is coming down. You reading into that at all? Uh, we, we spoke about it previously about the, the dislocation or you know, lack of correlation at a higher level between the actual energy companies and the commodity price swings themselves. So you're going to expect the, the commodity to be a lot more volatile than you will the names. Uh, as far as BP specific is concerned, I mean, I really hate to sound smug. This is kind of the cost of doing business particularly after that March 8th incident where they got caught buying you know, oil from Russia. I'll also say that writing down $4.5 billion versus, I believe it's a $25 or $30 billion that they have in intangible assets on their balance sheet, I mean, that is a no-brainer. You're not, you're not going to risk $30 billion of goodwill for a 4 or $5 billion quarterly charge. Okay, separately, we, we talked about a subsidiary play. Tim, I want you to comment on, on oil and gas, but also yesterday on Worldwide Exchange, 5 a.m. Eastern a.m., by the way, it's for the RBI. I talked about how an oil tanker broker had showed me stuff that oil tankers were going for $80,000 a day. The normal day rate is 15000 any reason to play these oil tankers, the front lines? I know you've talked about these names, but not for a while. It's, it's a bit of a back to the future, the VLCCs, I mean, you know, the dynamic here. And I think there's a few things industry specific, including scrapping and some things that are actually part of resuscitating this industry. They've lagged. And that's the other thing. You haven't missed this trade. And I think you have to be very careful because balance sheet specific is part of where a lot of these guys got, got overextended. I think it's interesting. I think obviously the U.S. increased production is going to continue to put upward pressure on rates. Be careful of those balance sheets. Yeah, a, very, a reference to the very large crude carrier, the VLCC. Yes. We don't talk about it too much. Watch a Scorpio, maybe. All right. You a Scorpio? A Sagittarius, Brian. That would be half man, I didn't half like horse. It. All right, sticking with energy. Let's <laughs> check out the, the, 
The URA Uranium ETF jumping almost 6% today. It's best day since St. Patty's Day, March 17th. Uranium prices climbing back to places they have not been in more than a decade. But Pete Najarian, you've been talking about uranium, you and John both, uh, for months. And you've been right on, by the way. Great calls. Nobody's really talking about more nuclear, so I'm a little confused about what's going on here. Yeah, and it's, it, it, it's a lot to do with how they've been very, very disciplined, too, Brian, when you talk about a lot of these uranium companies and what they're willing to produce and how they're going to do it. And I look at Cameco, one of the very biggest ones, CCJ. This one's been incredible. As a matter of fact, just yesterday, they bought 35,000 of the September upside calls in that same name. They've been buying options in here for a long time, Brian. They continue to do so, and it's been an incredible run. You just mentioned it just a few months ago. They, it just almost like the floodgates opened up across almost anything in the uranium space. And I think a lot of that has to do with a lot of people kind of looking forward, looking at what the supply demand looks like, and a lot more aggressiveness moving in that direction as people t- look at this clean energy. Didn't used to look that way to a lot of people. Now they're starting to see that maybe this is another clean alternative. Well, the floodgates of the Department of Energy and Secretary Granholm saying it's game on and let's get as much uranium, let's get as much aid to uranium uh, projects in this country as we can do. And, and look, you haven't missed this trade either. And I, I've been long uranium for a long time. I, I think you've got a case where we've been waiting for this trade. I think you've just started to pick up momentum. Good stuff. Uranium in focus. All right. Coming up, trouble in trucking, maybe a major driver shortage rippling through the industry. But what is Walmart doing to try to fix it? And what impact might they have on others? Stick around to find out. Plus, so five, so deep in the red as student loans get another pause from the White House. This drop as options traders checking on the trade fast money. Be right back. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Check out SoFi Technologies falling to a new 52-week low in its second worst close ever. Company cutting guidance after the Biden administration extended the pause on some student loan payments to the end of August. Today's losses put SoFi down nearly 50% this year. Now, despite that carnage, options traders are betting on a bounce. Mike Coe joining us now with the options action. Mike, what are you seeing? Yeah, with these big moves, probably not that surprising that we saw about two times the average daily options volume in SoFi. And although there was a lot of mixed sentiment at the end of the day, it was the bulls that actually won the day, eking out a small victory over the bears, calls outpacing puts by about two to one. And the most active of those were the weekly eight strike calls. About 24,000 of those traded for about 18 cents. Now, I should point out those started to trade before the V bottom that we saw today. But buyers of those were obviously betting that that's exactly what they would get and that the stock would rebound above that $8 strike price by at least the $0.18 per contract that they were spending. Bonwin, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, for a stock that's lost half of its value over the course of, you know, the last three months, I think it makes a lot of sense to, you know, enter in through calls, give yourself a little bit of upside there. The Biden news really isn't isn't really news. People expected this, and you kind of saw the moratoriums coming and likely will be extended. It's like 75% of their revenue in terms of loan uh, activity. But the long-term story is still intact in terms of targeting younger, digitally active um, consumers that are looking for, for, uh, for other alternatives to um, uh, older behemoths and, and older entrants. So yeah. I, I think the story still makes sense. And you wonder, Pete, if, if the pauses won't last forever, I mean, eventually SoFi would reverse some of, right? If they're falling on the pause and the pause ends, isn't that the pause that refreshes? 
<laughs> Could be, Brian, but as of right now, if you take a look at the short, there's 14% of the outstanding shares are short. And you almost wow. wonder, too, is this, a is this a hedge right now where they're still willing to be short the stock, even at these levels, and the hedge is just buying the upside calls? They're very inexpensive, and it gives you that, that or the at-the-money calls. It gives you that opportunity to stay short or maybe even increase your short. So don't, uh, I, I don't know necessarily yeah. that this is as bullish as maybe uh, first thought. I know a hedge fund manager, literally, he would short names of short stocks of companies that name stadiums because they said they thought that they was lost a good their focus. Strategy. I mean, <laughs> although, you know, good for Citibank over at uh, City Field. Uh, Mets opening day right now. So, so far, this this news was not necessarily unexpected by the market. And this isn't a reason to sell this stock. This is a stock that's down 65 percent. This is actually a company that I think is reasonably yep. well positioned. The question is, what should the market be doing with companies that have crashed already uh, but have technology and at some point I think are either strategic partners for legacy players and, and don't hold yep. that. You know, as your reason for owning it, but I, I, I do think there's Good an point. enormous asset here. Get cheap enough to maybe get taken out at some point as a buyer, right? All right, for more options action, be sure to turn into the full show. It's tomorrow, every Friday, 5:30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, the Harvard of trucking. That's what our next guest is calling Walmart. Is the big box retailer? He says ups the pay for truck drivers have been a major shortage. And by the way, we know there's a lot of Hokie Nation, CBC, and Fast Money fans out there. So a special shout-out to Vatech with a big Hokies on Wall Street event tonight. And congrats to our retiring business school dean, Robert Summercrass. Look at that. There you go. That's Hokie that, Nation. Hokie Nation. That's it. They're Represent. everywhere. They are everywhere. We are everywhere you want to be. Good for them. We're back after this. Well, another day, another new all-time high for Walmart. Shares up double digits. It's hitting their 52-week low back in February. This is the world's biggest retailer, and it wants to keep on trucking, announcing a pay raise and a new training program for truck drivers. Your next guest calls Walmart the Harvard of the trucking industry. Let's find out exactly what that means with Craig Fuller, founder and CEO of FreightWave, a freight and logistics market and data company. Also, by the way, the recent article about the doom to come for some trucking companies. Get to that in a second, Craig. What did you mean by the Walmart is the Harvard of trucking? Well, those jobs, those trucking jobs for Walmart are among the most selected and desirable jobs of all truck driver jobs in America. Walmart has historically always paid top of the market. And the quality of life for truck drivers driving for Walmart is tends to have a much better reputation than what you see from the general market. Uh, Walmart is, in the way Harvard is compared as the sort of destination school for a lot of students and really a dream uh, destination for many, uh, Walmart represents that for American truck drivers. Does it mean anything for the stock or is it just kind of a nice compliment? I know you're not a stock guy, but I'm just wondering, do you think it benefits the company, Craig? Well, it does. I mean, they're doing this because they're trying to secure and manage their supply chain internally. Walmart has the one of the best, if not the best, uh, supply chains of all of the retailers in terms of managing it. And they have an unusual uh, element where they actually own their own trucking uh, operations and trucking company. And Walmart as a trucking company would be a top three trucking company, a for-hire trucking company, if it was an independent of uh, the retail store. So Walmart making these investments in their supply chain and specifically in their trucking operations will position them to uh, respond to a lot of the supply chain disruptions that have been happening over the past couple of uh, years. 
Hey, Craig, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. This seems to be happening, though, while freight demand seems to be cooling. Or if you look at some of the stats that are out, you know, the, 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 the trucking industry lost 5,000 jobs last month, while the rest of the labor market is, you know, we had a jobless claims number that's as tight as we've ever seen. So explain that. And is this temporary? No, it's not temporary. Walmart has been in the trucking business for uh, decades. Uh, they have historically invested. And you have to think about when you're making supply chain investments, you're making it over the long term. So the uh, pressure that we're seeing the slowdown in freight is uh, something that will happen for probably a couple of quarters, really at most. Uh, but the demand will always be there. And uh, the difficulty of recruiting and retaining drivers will stay with us indefinitely. It's a difficult job. It's a job to find, uh, it's difficult to find new entrants. And it's critical in a time when on-demand transportation and on-demand supply chains uh, mean the whether a company is successful or not, it's critical to have a smooth running supply chain. And, and frankly, the demographics are not favorable for truck drivers. They continue to age. Uh, it's a very difficult market. And I, I applaud uh, Walmart for taking this uh, initiative of providing yeah. a career path for their retail store operations and warehouse operations uh, to be able to double, if not triple, the income yeah. they make as a uh, Walmart representative, a Walmart store's uh, clerk. Yeah, Craig Fuller, appreciate it. By the way, the article is trucking industry will be in trouble if demand drops to pre-COVID levels. And some of the stocks, Craig, by the way, thank you very much. Uh, go to CNBC.com slash pro, by the way, if you want to know more. But Guy Adami, these truck, the transport, especially the trucks, charts have looked Pretty ugly last week. Well, I mean, they look great until a couple. JB Hunt, for example, is making an all JBHT all time high two weeks yeah, ago. I think they flipped like the Fed about as fast as the Fed did. I like what you did there. Can yeah. I use that so, later? Yeah, of course you can. Well, I might because the stock is now down twenty percent in about five trading days. It's not. A, it's not just a trucking company though. They actually put things on railroad cars. So, Logistics. Thank you. I think I happen to think JBHT is a gift here at current levels. Pete. I think you just have to take your hat off. And this is one more reason I think Walmart is is a stock that I think everybody should be considering right now, Brian, because this isn't something they're addressing for now. And that's, I think, the real key element here. And that's what I think he communicated very good about the idea of, hey, look, if they can make their supply chain that much more efficient, that turns them into a much bigger player. And they're already, as he mentioned, a top three player when it comes to trucking already. So They want to reward their employees. There's a lot of things that go into this whole Walmart mix that I think a lot of us actually overlook. And for a while, it was an overpriced stock. But because of the gains that it's made over the last maybe three earnings sessions, this is a stock that I think is finally uh, one that we can all own at these prices. Well, if, if, if Walmart is the Harvard... Of trucking is Yale the target or target the Yale. I don't know. Pete Najarian, thank you. <laughs> All right, coming up, snake eyes for sports betting stocks. The group's sinking in today's session. So what is behind the drop? Contessa Brewer is up with that next. And April is Financial Literacy Month. So here's a young up-and-comer named Guy Adami. No. On how a deeper understanding, you ever watch yourself on TV? It's grim. A deeper understanding of finances can impact Wall Street. Watch Guy Adami. Watch Guy Adami. Financial literacy has a huge impact on Wall Street. Why? The great mythology for years was nobody understands money better than we do, we being Wall Street. Well, 2008 and 2009 proved that to be exactly the opposite. We now can ask questions that we never asked Wall Street before. So if you're financially literate, you can ask questions that will make the industry better.
there's two things you can say about the consumer right now, uneven and unpredictable. So uneven means, yes, you have all those things, but you also still have, you have a very strong housing market and yet mortgage rates increasing rapidly. You do have still strong balance sheets, but you can also see interest rates probably rising and credit getting a little higher. You have geopolitical unrest. That was Best Buy CEO Corey Berry speaking with Kramer on the consumer. By the way, catch that full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money in just a couple of minutes from now. But let's move on to the sports betting slump. DraftKings, Penn Game, Caesars, MGM and more. All the names in sports betting getting slammed today, despite the fact that you've got Major League Baseball's opening day. It's day one of the Masters. The NBA playoffs are coming up. Everybody's gambling. Contessa Brewer joining us now. Contessa, literally everybody, or as I call you, Tessa, everybody I know in New Jersey and the states that allow it is gambling all the time. Why aren't the stocks benefiting? Only my friend. Only my friends call me Tessa. And let me explain something about the stocks. It does not. It does not matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter how excited we are over the sports calendar. Over the past week, look at DraftKings declined 16 percent. Penn off 14 percent. Caesars, MGM, they're all taking it on the chin on the heels of a record setting NCAA basketball tournament. An incredible March Madness that included serious NBA action. The Super Bowl of all golf uh, and the Super Bowl of all Super Bowls, of course. Uh, We are looking at the Masters with Tiger Woods playing. Look, he is driving a lot of the betting action this week. Bally's chairman told me today, it doesn't matter. All of that is already priced in. And now the current momentum is... Uh, is that, again, uh, sports bettors are now being lumped in with all the other, hey, uh, growth-at-any-cost companies that now have to start delivering real earnings. Um, and, uh, and people are going to wait and see. I, I think it's really just a wait and see. Kim says that Bally's is getting just punished in spite of its prospects for brick-and-mortar casino success. He says that doesn't make any sense. But it also holds true for Caesars, for MGM, for Penn and Boyd. They've got lots of facilities that are doing great forward bookings. Some of this may be concerns over gas prices. Some of it might be worries over rising inflation, eating into consumer discretionary spending. But look, Brian, my sources tell me they're not seeing it. And historically, they don't. And of course, there is a lot of skepticism here around the digital business and when these guys are going to turn a profit on the sports betting online sports betting, and iGaming, Brian. Yeah, and maybe it just does come down to boring old balance sheets and income statements. Who knows? Contessa Brewer, thank you. Bonowin, any of these stocks or the options on these stocks look attractive to you right now? I mean, of the mix, I would look at something that's a little more brick-and-mortar heavy like MGM. And typically, I don't really like uh, asset-heavy businesses, particularly like in a growth environment. But here you have a lot more levers of pool, whether it be uh, meetings or gambling or things of that nature. I think there's just like a little bit more diverse revenue streams. In terms of like the general sector overall, I think any concern around the consumer is going to bleed into this. And the, the digital sports gaming platform specifically, it's really a, a question about target addressable market now versus the future. I mean, while, you know, uh, federally things have, have changed, there's still only about less than half of the states that allow gambling. And so until you start to see, a, you know, a 
bit more growth there. It's, it's really still them falling into that growth category. DraftKings, for example, still isn't a profitable company, one that I own, one that I like long term. But in this market, I think those names are going to suffer. Add on the, yeah. the concerns about the consumer, and I think that's really going to be it. Been tough. 63 to 17 for DraftKings. Thanks. All right, up next, your final trades. All good things must come to an end, including this show. Time now for your final trades. Go around the horn. Bono one, kick it off for us. Micron, ticker MU. Boring, discounted, good enough for me. And apparently, Bonowin had ginger chicken for dinner last night. I was wrong on the carbonara. Pete Nigerian. <laughs> I love a good ginger chicken. I'm going to give you Walmart. I think it's going to 170 in a hurry. Giddy up. <laughs> nice. Tim? Got me a Virginia Tech pen here, yeah, which I, I like. I, I want it back. It's, it's uh, not the you're, key. Not get, you're not getting it back. Can't gold it. Miners GDX, you're not getting that back, too. I think gold is actually consolidated after a parabolic move. You want to own the miners here. Blacksburg, Virginia, beautiful place. Thank you. Exquisite campus. Thank you. Go Hokies. Thank you. Have you seen Valero recently? Because you and I have talked about it on that wonderful worldwide exchange. VLO, the refiner. They're going to be printed money, I think. By the way, I used to drive a Plymouth Valero. Thanks for being here. Thanks for watching Fast Money Mad with Jim Cramer starts right now. 